بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد Let's have a quick recap of last week's lesson Zakah is an ibadah maliyah an act of worship that is related to your wealth. What about Hajj? Ahsant. Hajj is an ibadah badaniya wa maliya. It's related to your physical self and it's related to your wealth. In this narration that Imam al Nawi collects, Concerning the five pillars of Islam. The five pillars are mentioned. The fourth pillar that is mentioned is Hajj. The fifth pillar that is mentioned is fasting in the month of Ramadan. That is as per the narration that Imam, Bukh uh, Imam al Nawi quotes in his Arba'in. Is that the actual order? that the Messenger mentioned the five pillars of Islam what's the actual order that the Messenger mentioned the five pillars of Islam in this report that we have quoted by Imam al-Nawi Hajj has been mentioned as the fourth pillar fasting in the month of Ramadan has been mentioned as the fifth pillar what is the actual order that the Messenger himself said Hajj is the fifth pillar and fasting in the, in the month of Ramadan is the fourth pillar. How do we know this? How do we know that that is the exact order that the Messenger والسلام, mentioned the five pillars of Islam in? How do we know that he mentioned Siyam, fasting in the month of Ramadan as the fourth pillar and Hajj as a fifth pillar. How do we know this? Okay, excellent. Because that order, the correct, the correct order, the order of fasting in the month of Ramadan being the fourth pillar, Hajj being the fifth pillar, that order has been mentioned in a, another hadith, Give me some more. Give me some more information. Sorry? No. Concerning eh? the fact that Islam is built on five pillars. There's another narration within which the messenger said Islam is built upon five. The hadith of Jibreel. He says that Islam is, and then he mentions the five pillars. Okay, so there's another narration. The, th uh, the third one, yeah. Third one. No, no, not, it's not the third narration within which Hajj is the fourth pillar, uh, Hajj is the fifth pillar, Hajj is the fourth pillar in this narration. The narration that's been collected by Imam al-Bukhari, they're both, they're both the hadith of Ibn Umar, but another wording, another love, another wording, another report. So the wording that we have here, 
Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abadi said this is the narrators relaying the hadith by meaning. But there's another one within which the five pillars of Islam have been mentioned in the order of uh, fasting in Ramadan being the fourth pillar and the Hajj being the fifth. Why is it the case that we can say that that narration, that this other narration that's recorded by Imam Muslim, another narration that's recorded by Imam Muslim, we can say uh, for certainty that this narration here is the exact order that the Messenger والسلام, mentioned the orders, uh, pillars of Islam. Yeah. 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 Along the lines of that, yeah. A man, uh, Ibn Umar, radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, in that narration, oh, look at his face, go on then. No, 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 no. Hey, that's the shit. Uh. No, no, no. Okay. Ibn Umar, radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, he mentions in this other narration, recorded by Imam Muslim, in this other narration, recorded by Imam Muslim, Ibn Umar, mentions the pillars of Islam, the fourth pillar that he mentions is fasting. The fifth pillar that he mentions is Hajj. Now, there was a man that was there who listened to Ibn Umar relay this narration. The man, he said to Ibn Umar, Al-Hajj, ثم الصيام يعني حج then fasting okay he thought he can correct Ibn Umar he thought he uh, he can correct Ibn Umar or at least ask Ibn Umar يعني it's the you mean uh, حج then fasting right he said to Ibn Umar حج then fasting meaning it's not fasting then حج you mean to say حج then fasting Ibn Umar said no no, this is the actual order in which I heard it from the Messenger Siyam, then Hajj. Okay? So here we say that Ibn Umar, in this narration, there is Tasrih. There is an explicit mentioning from Ibn Umar that this is the actual order that I heard the Messenger uh, mentioned the five pillars of Islam. Okay? Is that clear? Yeah? Clear? Okay. Bayyam. Yeah. 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 So, Sheikh Abdul Mahsin Abad, he says that that is the rawat, uh, that is the narrators narrating it bil ma'na. The narration in meaning. They didn't, they didn't mention everything in order, but they related the hadith in meaning. The hajj. Why? Because Ibn Umar, he says, When the person mentioned a different order. So he amended his narration and said to him, This is the exact order that I heard it. Okay. Tamam. Okay, so the five pillars of Islam have been mentioned in a certain order. What does that order indicate? Ahsant. That's right. Very good. 
So, the pillars of Islam have been put in, order, put in order. What's the actual order? The order of importance. The one that is most important comes first. Then the one that is uh, uh, the most important after that comes next, and so on and so forth. So why is the shahada the most important pillar of our, of our deen? Hmm. Because that is the thing that takes you to Islam. Every single act of worship is based upon the shahada. Without the two shahadas, your deeds can't be accepted. The second pillar, what's the second pillar? Salah, prayer. Why is that? Yani why is that so important? What does Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad say about that? You're standing in front of Allah and you're asking for forgiveness and this is very important. Something else as well. That's good. Jazakallah khair. Something else as well. Sorry? The bond, yes. You have a direct bond. That your salah is a direct connection and bond that you have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it occurs once a year. Does it occur once a year? No, it occurs once a month. When does it occur? Once a week. Ah. Every single day and then five times in that, in that day. So therefore, because of that, it is a strong connection between you and your Rabb. And therefore, it's a second pillar because of how important it is. Five times a day it's being repeated. The next is Zakah. What is Zakah? The third pillar. That's right, that's, what, uh, that's the benefit of zakah, that you give it uh, to people that are less well off than yourself. But something else, yani why is zakah so important? Why is it the third pillar of Islam? Number one is a shahada, because everything else is based upon it. Number two is a salah, because it's occurring every single day, five times a day. Why is zakah? MashaAllah, Barakallah Zakah is important. Why? Because its benefit is you and the benefit is also received by someone else. Okay? It occurs only once a year. But the benefit, you, and you benefit from it and then there are others that are also recipients of the benefit of a zakah. The next is the fourth pillar. The fourth pillar is what? What's the fourth pillar of Islam? What's the fourth pillar of Islam? Yeah, fasting. And that occurs one, once a year. We're talking about the fasting in the month of Ramadan. Obviously, you can do voluntary fasting. We're talking about the one that's been mentioned as a pillar. So yes, and that occurs once a year. Is the benefit of fasting in the, in the month of Ramadan such that others also benefit by you fasting? Yeah, just you. You are the one that benefits from the fasting. By you fasting, others aren't going to receive benefit from it. Unlike zakah, because the poor, they receive the benefit, or those other categories of ahl zakah, they receive the benefit from your money. Okay. And then the fifth pillar, it is 
Hajj, and it is the fifth pillar, the last of the five pillars, because, 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 Ikhwan, any more hands? Why have I got children that are under the age of maybe 14 raising their hands? And big men with... <laughs> it's once in a lifetime. Hajj is a pillar of our deen, very important. But it is not something that you do once every year. It's not something that you have to do once every single year. Rather, it's one, well, something that you do once in a lifetime. If you have the ability, yes. Ahsan Dayman, Barakallahu Tayyib. And then yesterday, uh, yesterday, last week, we moved on to the, the next hadith, the fourth hadith, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. And Tayyib, concerning this, who can mention the four stages? I prefer if the adults, adults could answer this question. The four stages of the development of the fetus. Four stages of the development. Eh? Uh, sorry. It's been a long day. <laughs> the three stages of the development of the fetus. Nutfa, eh? drop. Alaqa, the clot of blood. The mudra, the. Yeah, it's a, like a chewed piece of flesh. How big is it? How big is this chewed piece of flesh? Lift the, keep your hands up if you know the answer. Mm. A mouthful, yeah? Like a, a mouthful. Okay. So that is the three, three, three stages of the development. What are the four stages that the human being goes through? As far as his existence is concerned, what are the four stages, the four yani realms that a person goes through? What are the four stages? Huh? First it is death, which is basically not alive. So it's prior to which stage? No, because you're alive, you're alive even when you're inside. Of your mother's womb. So which stage is this first stage that our beloved brother is referring to? He's saying that the first stage is death. When prior to when? Prior to when? Naim. Okay, what occurs then? Yeah. The angel blowing the soul into the fetus. Okay? So uh, 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 prior to that he is made, he is dead. Second stage. Second stage. Don't shout it out. Second stage. Anybody else? Amen. Yeah. Life. Okay. When is that? Uh. Okay, the angel comes and blows the soul up until? Up until you die. Ahsant. Third stage. So the first stage is you are mayit, you're dead. Second stage, you are hay, you're living, you're alive. Third stage. When you, when you, uh, when you are dead, يعني, after, يعني when your soul leaves your body, once you die in this world, up until? 
up until al-ba'ath, up until resurrection. Number four, so that's your mate in that sense. That does not negate al-hayat al-barzakhiyah, the, the intermediary period between this world and yom al-qiyamah. Spoiled for choice, yeah. Fourth one is when you're alive, which is basically from resurrection until or in, until eternity, until forever. Okay. So now um, we know that what is inside of the womb, what is inside of the womb is knowledge that only Allah has. What is inside of the womb, knowledge of it, only Allah has. Knowledge of whether it is male, or whether it is female, whether it's going to be male or female, that is something that only Allah has. So then how do we understand that and when a woman that is pregnant, she goes to, to have a scan, and the sonographer scans the belly and says, oh, it's a boy, it's a girl. How do you, what's the answer to that? Isn't it the case that knowledge of what is within the womb, only Allah knows? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because of the? Yes. Their abilities from the khalwa. Something, something that we mentioned last week. There's another narration. Ah. Okay, that's good. Because the body has now formed. And also, there's another narration within which the angel says, Ya Rabbi, adhakaran amuntha. Male or female, then Allah tells him whether it's going to be male or female. So now it's not from those matters of knowledge that only Allah knows. Allah has also informed others from his creation, such as the angels concerning it. And likewise, the fact that now the uh, body is fully formed. And thus you're able to see what the... Uh, it's not unseen anymore, you can see it. So that is where we reached last week. Part number six. Part number six is a short point, and that is the fact that whatever is going to happen from this hadith, we can uh, gain the benefit that whatever is going to happen is something that has already been pre-decreed. It's something that is in Allah's يعني, knowledge. Yani is pre-decreed. It's, it's in His knowledge. That knowledge as to what is going to occur has been recorded, recorded in a register known as Allah al-Mahfuz. And likewise, uh, 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 it is something yeah, and in terms of the state that that human being is going to end up in, whether happy or wretched, whether in paradise or hellfire, is something that has been written down by the permission of Allah at the hands of the, of the angel. Number seven is concerning the states that human beings are in, in relation to their beginning and all the way up to their end. The states, what are the possible states 
that a human being can be in as far as the beginning is concerned, his beginning of his life or the beginning of his Islam, and the end, meaning the end of his life. There are four possible conditions that a person can fall into. Number one, man bidayatuhu hasana wa nihayatuhu hasana. He whose beginning is good and whose end is good. Yani somebody that is, for example, nurtured upon Islam, brought upon Islam, and he dies upon Islam. That is somebody whose beginning is good and his end is good. Or he started to yani, practice the deen or he embraced the deen and he stuck to that and he died upon that. Someone whose bidaya is hasana and his nihaya is hasana. Second state that a person can, can fall into. Man kanat bidayatuhu sayyi'ah wa nihayatuhu sayyi'ah He whose beginning is evil and whose end is evil. He is raised upon kufr and dies upon kufr. The third state. Man kanat bidayatuhu hasanah wa nihayatuhu sayyi'ah he whose beginning was good, but his end, his death, was evil. For example, somebody who embraces Islam, or somebody that is raised as a Muslim, raised upon obedience to Allah, but then near the end of his life, he apostates. He leaves Islam and he dies as an apostate. That's the third category. The third state that a person could fall into. The fourth one, man bidayatuhu sayyi'ah wa nihayatuhu hasana. He whose beginning is evil, but his end is, is good, is righteous. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, he, uh, he mentions the example of the magicians of Fir'aun, magicians that were performing magic. On behalf of Fir'aun. However, they ended up believing in the Rabb of ha Musa wa Harun. They ended up dying as Muslims. They ended up being killed and crucified by Fir'aun. Died as Muslims. Likewise, the Yahudi, the Jewish man, who was a Khadim, who was a servant for the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam. This young Jewish person fell ill. The Prophet ﷺ went to visit him. When he went to visit him, Prophet ﷺ presented Islam to him, invited this young Jewish person to Islam. And what did the young Jewish person do? He embraced Islam. He said the Shahada. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, in the narration recorded by Imam al-Bukhari, Alhamdulillah, alladhi anqadahu minan nar. All praise and thanks belongs to Allah, who saved him from the fire of hell. So this is an example of somebody whose beginning was sayyi'ah, but whose end was hasana, it was good. And these last two conditions is what the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, indicates towards. Yani somebody who is 
doing the actions of the people of paradise, but then near the end of his life does the actions of the people of hellfire and enters into the hellfire. Or someone that is doing the actions of the people of hellfire, but near the end of his life, he ends up doing the actions of the people of paradise, and thus he enters into paradise. That's part number seven. Part number eight. دل الحديث على أن الإنسان يعمل العمل الذي فيه سعادته أو شقاوته بمشيئته وإرادته وأنه بذلك لا يخرج عن مشيئة الله وإرادته وهو مخير باعتبار أنه يعمل باختياره ومسير بمعنى أنه لا يحصل منه شيء لم يشأه الله So this eighth point that Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abad is um, is highlighting is essentially the fact that you are mukhayyar and you are musayyar you are mukhayyar yani you have been given the ability to choose to choose and uh, to intend and to select whatever you do Whatever action you do, you do it by your choice. Whatever action you do, you do it because you intend to do it. But likewise, you are musayyar. You are being handled. You're being navigated. You're being handled and maneuvered and navigated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does this mean? Meaning, that anything that you intend with that free will of yours, anything that you want to do with that free will of yours, anything that you desire to do, you, can't, you cannot do it. And you cannot achieve it. You cannot attain it. You cannot acquire it. If Allah does not will for you to do it. We have a free will. We can clearly see it. Allah has commanded me to pray. However, I can choose, I can, as, far, as far as Allah's universal will is concerned, I can choose whether or not I want to pray or not. It's up to me. I have the free will to do so. I have the choice. I'll be punished if I don't, but I have the choice to do so. I have a free will. Allah has commanded me not to drink alcohol. I have the ability now. I have a will via which I can either pick up this bottle and drink it or not do so. However, Whatever I want to do, whatever I do not want to do, I cannot either do it or not do it unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows me to do it or allows me not to do it. My will is under the authority of Allah's will. My want is under the, uh, under the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We see this in our own lives. How many a times a person he may want to. For example, attend a certain lesson, an Islamic lesson. He wants to do so. Yani he has the intention to do so. He, he, has, he says to himself, I'm going to go to this lesson. Yet Allah Jalla causes factors to arise which end up prevent him from going there. You have a will, you want to go there. That will cannot take effect. That will of yours cannot be actualized unless Allah Jalla allows it to take effect, allows it to be actualized. A person, he wants to perform Umrah. He says, you know, I'm going to save up um, some money, and then inshallah ta'ala, 
in 12 months I'm going to perform Umrah. So he saves up 100 pounds a month, for example. Five years pass by, a decade pass by, no Umrah has been performed. Why? Because Allah did not allow it to happen. Allah did not will for it to happen. A person, he says, ah, easy. Hifz of the Quran, easy. All I need to do is memorize two pages a day, and then in one year, I'll be done. Five years have passed by, and not even a juz has been memorized. Why? Because you cannot will unless Allah wills for you to do so. So all of this shows that you do obviously have a will, but it is under the authority of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's will. This therefore shows, what does it show? What are we in need of then? What should we, what should we be doing if it is the case that in reality, we have a will, but that will can't take effect unless Allah wills for it to occur. I want to memorize Quran, but it cannot occur unless Allah allows all of the cause and effect means and mechanisms, mechanisms, mechanisms within this cone, within this universe, for me to be able to memorize the Quran. There are so many different asbab that are required in order for me to be able to make hifz of the Quran. It's not just my irada that is needed. So many other factors that are required. So if I have realized this, then what is the believer, what is the abid meant to do? He connects it to the Mashiach of Allah, and in terms of... What, do, what does this indicate? Okay, Allah Jalla wa'ala, I cannot do anything unless Allah wills. So then, if you really want to do something, it shows how much you need to beg and beseech and implore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the thing that you need. Like a, a humble, broken beggar in front of his master, begging him. Allah jalla wa ala, he said in his book, Ya nas, antumul fuqara ilallah. O humankind, you are fuqara before Allah. You are poor before Allah. You are impoverished and needy before Allah. Wallahu huwa al-ghaniyul hamid. However, Allah, He is al-ghani, the one that's free of all needs. Al-hamid, the one that is deserving of all praise. For that reason, the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, He Himself makes dua to Allah. The Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, does He want taqwa? Does the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, want to be a muttaqi? Want to be someone that has taqwa. It's a given. Obviously he does. He's the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. He's the best of creation. The messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, even though he is the best of creation, even though he's been promised al-jannah, even though his past and his future sins have been forgiven, he says, Allahumma, ati nafsi taqwaha. O Allah, Grant my soul its taqwa. Wazakkiha anta khayru man zakkaha. And purify it. The Messenger of Allah is saying, Purify my soul, Ya Rabb. You are the best of those who purify. Anta waliyuha wa maulaha. You are the guardian of my soul. You are the master of my soul. So Muhammad ibn Abdullah, khayrul khalq, khayrul anbiya. The best of creation, the best of prophets, he makes tawassal to Allah Jalla wa using his names and attributes, asking Allah, 
to purify his soul and grant him his taqwa. Why? Because, because he knows that nothing can occur except by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Sahabas ridwan Allah ta'ala alayhim likewise they acknowledge this. And for that reason when they are in uh, when they are yani, build, um, digging the trench when were they digging the trench? In the world wars it's a bit before the world wars yani, quite before huh? it was uh, it was a big army not just the Quraysh Yom Al-Eh Yom Al-Ahzab Ghazwat yeah, Al-Ahzab okay so the Sahabas they're digging the, the khandaq, the trench. When they're digging this trench, why were they digging this trench? Hmm? For protection. Why? Because they, they're outnumbered. Big massive army. It's an alliance. An alliance of different disbelieving factions that have gathered together in order to annihilate the Muslims. So now the Sahabas, because they're outnumbered, there's a certain part in Medina where they dug a trench in order to ward off the enemy from approaching them. Big trench. The point is that when they were, when they were digging this trench, they said, They said, if it was not for Allah, then we would never have been guided. Sahabas are saying it. Companions of Al-Mustafa, those who saw revelation descending down upon Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, they said, if it was not for Allah, then we would never have been guided. Meaning, it is only by Allah allowing us to be guided, willing for us to be guided, opening up the doorways, the gateways via which we can be guided. It is only by way of that that we became guided. And we would never have prayed. And we would never have given in charity. So the point here is that this, um, this uh, fact here, that you are mukhayyar, that you have been endowed with the ability to choose and have a free will, that, they, that you are also musayyar you're also being يعني, navigated by Allah maneuvered and handled by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatever you will whatever you wish whatever you want whatever you intend cannot occur cannot be acquired unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills for it to be occurred and therefore you have to ask Allah to grant you guidance and taqwa طيب. The ninth part, that is part number eight, the ninth part. This hadith here, which tells us that a person can do the actions of a people of paradise, but then before he dies, he ends up doing the actions of the people of hellfire, hellfire and enters into the hellfire. And likewise, a person can do the actions of the people of hellfire. And then before he dies, he does the actions of the people of paradise and enters into paradise. This part of this hadith, it shows that it, that it is a must for a person to be balanced between hope 
and fear. Hope and fear. Hope in the mercy of Allah. Fear of the punishment of Allah. Because there are those people who do good, who do righteousness throughout their, whole, throughout their, uh, throughout their entire life. But then they end up having an evil end. And likewise, you have those that do evil throughout their whole life. But then before they die, Allah Jalla wa'ala blesses them with guidance and thus they become guided. And therefore a person should never ever lose hope. Regardless of what you've done in the past, Al-A'mal bi miha. The things that are taken into consideration, the things that carry weight, are your final deeds, is your final state. And therefore, regardless of what you've done in the past, this hadith should give you hope that you can fix yourself right now while you, while you are still alive. And likewise, this hadith shows that you should be at, in a state of fear. Just because you've been Muslim throughout your whole life, just because you've been يعني, a person of righteousness throughout your whole life, does not mean that you should become يعني, uh, 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 complacent and easygoing. Rather, balance your hope with fear. Fear that you might end up dying in an evil state. طيب, part number 10. Part number 10. And this part number 10 is a, uh, a point that Imam An-Nawi highlights in his explanation to this hadith. In this hadith, we have been it has been mentioned to us by Al-Mustafa alayhi salam that a person does righteous deeds. A person does righteous deeds and then he could end up in the hellfire even though he's done righteous deeds and then before he dies, he does evil deeds and then he enters into the fire of hell. And, and the opposite as well has been mentioned. However, Allah Jalla wa'ala, he says in Surah Al-Kahf, uh, in ayah number uh, 30, Indeed, those who have iman, who have faith, and work righteous deeds, indeed we shall not allow the reward of those who do good to be lost in vain. Indeed, those who have iman and work righteous deeds, Allah will not allow their deeds to be lost in vain. How do we understand this ayah, which is saying the one who does work righteous deeds, his, his deeds aren't going to be lost in vain. How, how do we understand that and then this hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the fourth hadith that Imam al-Nawi quotes in his Arba'een, Wherein the messenger said that a person can do the actions, you may find a person will do the actions of the people of paradise until there's nothing between him and paradise except an arm's length. And then the book overtakes him and he does the actions of the people of the fire of hell and thus he enters into it. How do we understand that? How do we harmonize between that text and this text? Hmm. Okay, yes, that is the uh, Imam al-Nawi, he gives two answers to it, that's one of them. That's one of them, that it is 
يعني it is a condition that he dies upon and dies in a good state and that his deeds are accepted what do you need for your deeds to be accepted what what are the conditions for a deed to be accepted ah and sincerity that's one mutaba following the sunnah he has to be in accordance with the sunnah okay you okay there So now, yes, so it, that's one waj, that a, uh, a person, it's a condition, that a person dies with a husn al-khatimah, with a good end, and that his deeds are accepted. However, there's another narration which gives further clarification to it. Another narration which gives further clarification to it. The same content that is contained in this hadith is found in a another hadith in the hadith of Sahal ibn Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala recorded by Imam al-Bukhari wa Muslim in that hadith the messenger said inna ar-rajula laya'malu bi'amali ahli al-jannah fi ma yabdu lil-nas وَهُوَ مِنْ أَهْلِ النَّارِ That hadith, the wording of it, is different to the wording in here. Very similar, but there's an extra wording in this hadith of Sahal ibn Sa'ad. The messenger said in this other narration, Indeed, I, indeed a man will do the actions of the people of paradise Fima Yabdulinas in what is apparent to the people. Even though he is in reality from the people of the fire of hell. Meaning a person does deeds, good deeds, righteous deeds as far as other people can see, in the eyes of other people. But he himself is from the people of the fire of hell. What is the incident that occurred? As a result of which the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam said this statement. Does anybody know? Mm. Yeah, but there was, he's doing it to show off, okay? But there's an actual occurrence, an incident that occurred as a result of which the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam made this statement. In this narration of Sahil ibn Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the Messenger والسلام, and the companions, they were in a battle against the polytheists. There was one man on the camp of the Muslims, on the side of the Muslims, fighting against the polytheists. And he was annihilating anyone and everyone that came in his way. Brave, courageous man, you would say. The companions, they became amazed when they saw this man. They said, look at so-and-so, look how anybody that comes in his way, he slaughters them. Anybody that comes in his way, he annihilates them. This man is so brave and, brave and courageous. The messenger, والسلام, he said, He's in the fire of hell. He's in the fire of hell? The companions are thinking, well, how can this person be in the fire of hell? He is engaging in jihad. Fighting against the polytheists. Those people that were fighting them, obviously. 
So now one companion, he said, I ended up following this man, looking at him, seeing what he's doing on the battlefield. I ended up following him until he got badly injured, badly wounded, severely wounded. And he could not have any patience with this wound, with this severe wound. So what did he do? He got his sword and he placed the handle of the sword on the ground, on the floor. And he placed the nib of the sword against the middle of his chest. And then he leaned against the sword and killed himself. So now this companion that went looking at this man seeing what is he doing he went back to the Prophet and he said indeed I testify that you are the messenger of Allah and then he told him what he saw then the messenger narrated this narration the narration of Sahal ibn Sa'd within which there is this extra wording in comparison to the narration of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud within which the Prophet said inna rajula لا يعمل بعمل أهل الجنة فيما يبدو للناس. Indeed, a man does the actions of the people of paradise as far as others can see, as far as others are able to see. Other people think that he is doing the actions of the people of Jannah, but he, in fact, is the people of the fire of hell. Why? Because there is a hidden evil within him. That everybody else can't see. Everybody else sees him, thinks him to be righteous. And therefore, the Prophet ﷺ said, In what is apparent to the people. He does the actions of people of Jannah in what is apparent to the people. But because of a disease, because of a perversion inside of him, inside of his soul, inside of his heart, because of riya, perhaps, wanting to be seen, because of sum'ah, perhaps, wanting to be heard. Because of that, because of that evil that is inside of him, that evil leads him to an evil end. That evil leads him to hellfire. He's a qari, yeah. Say that he's jawad, he's rich, he's a generous, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that, yeah, that's right. So, that's, so everybody can say that he is shuja and he is a, he's a brave person. So this hadith here, it highlights what? What's the point? Because going back to the ayah, Indeed those who have iman and work righteous deeds, we shall not allow the works of those who work righteous deeds to be lost in vain. How is this, how is this connected? Meaning, meaning, that the one who does have Iman, the one that does have true Iman, and the one that does truly work righteous deeds, sincerely for the sake of Allah, not like this person here, who has a hidden evil, who has a disease or a perversion inside of him, no, the one that is true to Allah, and he performs the action obviously in accordance to the Sunnah, that type of person, Allah will never allow his deeds to be lost in vain.
This is one waj that um, Imam al-Nawi mentions. The one who worships Allah, who performs righteous deeds based upon Iman, true Iman, Iman that is based upon ilm, knowledge. And he performs righteous deeds. Number one, sincerely for Allah. Number two, in accordance to the Sunnah. Allah is too just. Allah is too fair. Rather, Allah is too merciful to allow that person's deeds to be lost in vain. However, which one of us knows which action that we have been performing for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it may be, which one of us knows which one of them was, mukh, was sincerely for the sake of Allah? Which one of us knows which deed that we did was accepted by Allah? That's why the Salaf, they used to fear. They used to fear whether or not their deeds have been accepted. It is said that Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, by Allah, if I knew that one sajda, one prostration of mine has been accepted by Allah, I'll be happy. One prostration. So therefore, a person should not become complacent concerning that. So that's one wajh. Uh, that is one uh, يعني, um, benefit that we get by combining the hadith and this ayah. That if it is the case that you did a righteous deed sincerely for the sake of Allah, in accordance to the sharia, based upon iman, Allah will never allow you to die with a su'al khatimah. Allah will never allow you to die with an evil end. Allah will not allow you to have, Allah will not allow your deeds to be lost in vain. Second point is the opposite. The second point that we get by combining the hadith of Sahil ibn Sa'ad uh, and this um, ayah here is that an evil death only happens in the case of the person who does evil, whose actions are evil, or he does a righteous action, but it is soiled, it is corrupted, it is polluted with showing off, with wanting to be seen, with wanting to be, to be heard. <coughs> So, um, the conclusion, well, that is basically the, uh, the end of Shaykh Abdul Mahsan Abad's sharh to the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the 11th part, that was 10 parts, the 11th part is basically a summary of the benefits of this particular hadith. And we'll go over these, these benefits. Next lesson, insha'Allah ta'ala. So stop here. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Wa sallallahu ma'ala nabiyyana Muhammad. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.